Alrighty, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, I thank you for your word and the gift it is to us. And uh, I pray that you would bless it right now. That by the power of your spirit, you would use it to stir our hearts to want to please you. As Paul prays this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well if you have your Bibles with you today, or the church Bible on the pew, um, turn there to the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, that Paul wrote from jail to the Colossian church. And this is the third uh, sermon that we've preached so far from our in, during our journey through Colossians. So last week, if you remember, we looked at the first part of Paul's prayer for the Colossians in verses 3 to 8, and he's saying he regularly thanks God for them. And what he's thanking God for is that the gospel, the good news about the grace of God, is having an effect on them. If you heard really good news, it has an effect on you, right? And tomorrow, as... Your birthday and you hear good news that, you know, your your friend or your family is making your favorite meal, right? That, that kind of makes you excited. If I hear that Holly's making bacon cheeseburgers with blue cheese, that affects me. Um, <laughs> big time. Um, I don't think that's what we're having for lunch. But the, the good news of the gospel is far better than any other news. It is the best news. The news that our Father loves us. Through Jesus, And that news has affected the Colossians so much that it has given them faith, hope, and love for others. So we saw that last week. Paul thanks God for the fruit of the gospel. This week, in verses 9 to 14, Paul starts to talk to the Colossians about a request that he is making to God the Father on behalf of the Colossian believers. So again... Verses 3 to 8, I thank God for what the gospel is doing in you. And then verses 9 to 14, Lord, I'm asking you to keep doing work in the Colossians. I pray that the fruit of the gospel would continue with the help of the Spirit. So here's a summary of this morning's message. Here, here's what Paul is praying. This is my summary of Paul's prayer. He's praying... That the Colossian Christians would be filled with the spirit-given knowledge of God's will so that they can walk through life in a way that pleases their Heavenly Father. So, here, here's an illustration. What do you fill your car with to drive? Gasoline, right? Um, if you have a ship, what do you need your ship's sail filled with to move? Wind. And in the same way... Believers in Jesus must be filled by the Spirit with knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that they can walk or live in a way that pleases the Lord. The Spirit moves us in the direction of pleasing the Father. That's what Colossians 1, 9-14 is all about. So I'm going to read those verses, and then I'll say a more brief summary of the main point, and then we'll dive right in. So, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. Paul says this. For, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, remember how they hear about them? Verse 8, he's never heard <coughs> them. From Epaphras, who told them, 
told them about their love. So since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Here's the purpose. So that you may live a life, your translation might say, walk worthy. That's what it literally says, which means live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The main point of these verses, of this prayer that he's praying, is that the Colossians would be filled with the Spirit's wisdom so that they could live God's way. Filled with the Spirit's wisdom to live God's way. And there's two parts to that statement that we'll look at separately. First, verse 9, we'll look at the idea. What does it mean to be filled with the wisdom of the Spirit? And second, in verses 10 to 14, we'll unpack how Christians are to live God's way. Live to please the Father. And we'll spend the most time in the second point, since Paul spends the most verses there as well. So first, Christians need to be filled with the Spirit's wisdom. That's why Paul's praying that, because it's something they need. Verse 9, let me read it again. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Lord, make me like Paul, right? Not stop praying for people. What does he pray? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, some of your translations, you might have something different. You might have filled with all spiritual wisdom here. And, and what the NIV that I'm reading from, it just tries to help you understand what that means. What is spiritual wisdom? Oh, it's wisdom that the Spirit gives you wisdom that comes from God's Spirit. Now, here's a question for you. When you don't know how to do something that you need to do, what, like, fix your car or something, like, something simple, not like replace an engine, although maybe you're brave and want to try something like that. What, you, you need to do something. What are you going to do to figure it out? Google it, right? In the internet age, I go on YouTube, and you can learn all kinds of things. I mean, you could probably learn how to be a heart surgeon on YouTube. <laughs> Not that anyone would trust you, but the internet is filled with all sorts of knowledge and understanding. It's like a great, giant compendium of all the brains of the world in one place, for better or sometimes for much, much worse. And even though there's a whole mix of wisdom on the internet, we tend to Google things we need wisdom for, right? Or we throw it out on Facebook. Teach me to parent. Whoa. <laughs> if you want to get a bunch of moms fighting in the comment feeds on your page, uh, you say, you know, how do I get my kid to go to sleep or to eat food? And you just post it out there. I need wisdom. Help me. 
And instead, your phone starts lighting on fire, right? <laughs> it's cr crazy, right? Wisdom, people have different opinions. All of so how should Christians get wisdom and knowledge and understanding about how to live for God? YouTube? Facebook? Sermons? Friends? Books? All of these things can help. But what about the specifics of every little decision you make every day for every little bit of how you spend your time or your money as a Christian? The Bible doesn't tell you how much money to spend on clothes or on food. It doesn't tell you exactly what to say when the person you work with says something really, really mean. The Bible doesn't say, you know, say exactly this. It gives you principles, commands, to help you know what loving God and neighbor looks like. Well, it looks like this in this situation, but what about in my situation? You need more in your Christian life than just commands. You need the very wisdom of your creator God in you, shaping you and influencing your choices throughout the day to help you be filled with the fullness of the life that God intends for you. Think about it. When, when you ask for, for someone else to give you knowledge about how to do something, that's kind of what you want. You want their wisdom in you. Like, that's why I read a book. And to the degree that that wisdom is true, um, I, I want that wisdom to then be in me to influence how I live. What if I could get God's wisdom in me? Okay? For ev not just the wisdom of the Bible, but the wisdom for every specific situation. That's what Paul says we have through the Spirit. The wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. It is ultimately the Spirit who helps believers apply the written Word of God and the truths you learn about following Jesus from the Word, from friends, from preaching, to every situation you face. We need the Spirit. And so that's why Paul prays that the believers would be filled by the Spirit with the knowledge of what God wants for them. Now, what would prompt? What would prompt Paul to pray this way? Why, why would Paul pray like this? I think it's because his own Bible has led him to pray this way. In the Bible, God's Spirit regularly fills God's people to live and work God's way. For example, a key example would be the story of the building of the tabernacle. Some of you may remember this story in Exodus 31, verses 2 to 5. God filled two human beings, Bezalel and Aholiab, with wisdom and knowledge and understanding and skill to build all the key parts of God's tabernacle. The Spirit also came upon other Israelites like their priests and prophets and kings, anointing them and empowering them to do their tasks, God's way, for God's honor. And finally, and most importantly, the perfect human, Jesus, God's final prophet, priest, 
king, the final temple builder who's building his church into a global temple for the Lord by the Spirit. Jesus is filled by the Spirit with God's wisdom to do God's work, God's way, for the honor of the Father. That's what Isaiah 11 says of the Messiah. Listen to these words, Isaiah 11, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of Yahweh, and he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. So even Jesus did his earthly ministry in the might and in the power of the Spirit's wisdom. That's why Paul can say this a little bit later. If you look in Colossians 1 and then you look down to chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why does he say this? Because Paul has read Isaiah 11. Got Isaiah memorized, I'm sure, because he alludes to it and quotes from it constantly. But Isaiah 11, Isaiah 61 says the same thing about the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach gospel to the poor. Good news. So Jesus does what he does as the perfect human in the power and the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit of the Father gave him to show us the way. Now all Christians... We receive the Holy Spirit immediately when we trust in Jesus, when our eyes are opened, when our dead hearts come to life, and we no, wanna, no longer want to live for <coughs> sin, but want to live for the Lord. That is only the beginning of our life by the Spirit. We need the Spirit of Jesus to fill us more and more with the knowledge and wisdom that only He can give. So Paul can write in his letter to the Galatian church, Galatians 5, verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, so since the Spirit has made you alive to God, he's not your enemy anymore. Since you're alive by the Spirit, he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in line with the Spirit. Keep following the Spirit. Live like a living person. Like someone who's alive to God. Now here in Colossians, Paul is praying to the Father to continue to fill his people with the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the Spirit to help them know God's will, just like Jesus walked when he was on earth according to the will of the Father. Now, we see the purpose of the knowledge and pact fleshed out in verses 10 to 14. So I'll read verse 10 for us next. There Paul says, so that, the purpose word, so that you may live a life. I want you to be filled with the Spirit, with knowledge, with wisdom, so that you may live a life, literally the word here is walk, worthy of the Lord, live worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way. So here we see the purpose of knowing and understanding God's will, is not just so that Christians get their heads filled with a bunch of facts and knowledge about living the Christian life. It was so they could actually live it in a way that pleases the Father. So that's point two this morning. Christians live to please the Father. That's the aim that the Spirit of God has in our lives. The Spirit fills us with wisdom and knowledge 
to the end that we would walk to please our Father, just as Jesus pleased his Father in everything. And everything in verses 10 to 14 unpacks who the Father is and what pleasing him looks like. Um, before we go on, though, um, I, I just want to pause and reflect for a minute on the concept of pleasing the Father. If you've trusted in Jesus, you belong to his family. Your acceptance into God's family, it's not based on how you perform as a son or as a daughter. It's based upon you being born again into the family of God through faith in Jesus. Think about how it works with human children. If a parent has a child, is there a trial period for that child before they get accepted into the family? Like, you know, we'll wait to name you as ours and give you our last name until we see how things work. Um, oh man, this is a troubled child. I don't think we'll name him with the last name Aubrey. No, that's not how it works. They're born accepted. If you entered into the family of God through the new birth, if you're born again, God has made you alive, then you are just as accepted in God's sight as his very own son, Jesus Christ, is. Paul says in verse 12, it is, if you look in Colossians 1 verse 12, it is the Father who has qualified you to belong to his family. He has rescued you and he's transferred your citizenship. I have some siblings who got citizenship in other countries. It's very difficult. God has transferred your citizenship from one kingdom to another. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of his beloved son. You didn't rescue yourself. You didn't qualify yourself. You didn't redeem yourself from darkness to light. He redeemed you through the sacrifice of Jesus who's taken your place. You're a part of his family. He's your father. You're accepted and rescued and forgiven and loved because of Jesus. But, here's a question, can an accepted child, can a child born into a parent's home who is accepted and loved break their parent's heart? Grieve their parents? Absolutely. And it's similar with our relationship with the Lord. Even though we are accepted, if we are truly accepted by God because of Jesus, we truly trust Him, we still can please or displease our Heavenly Father. Sin and rebellion brings what it brings in any human family. Displeasure, sadness, and discipline. Obedience and returning to him brings his smile and, his, and the joy of a closer connection. And so what Paul is going to spend verses 10 to 12 talking about is pleasing the Father. You can actually please God. If you can make the Father pleased by the way you live your life. The first thing we see about pleasing the Father in everything is in verse 10, we are to walk worthy of Him. Now, that doesn't mean that God is sitting up in heaven looking at your life and constantly weighing 
whether or not you're worthy of being a part of his family. It doesn't mean he's still trying to decide whether or not you're worth saving from sin. Yeah, we'll see how they turn out. Boy, he's not performing so well. He's on the losing team, so we'll, we'll put him out of the race. You know, we don't, we don't want take that jersey off. You're not playing for Team Jesus. No, that's not how God views his true children. Um, being worthy, if connected to the concept of honor and shame and glory in the Bible, there are ways that Christians can act that dishonor the name of the Lord. They're not acting worthy of the name that they bear, of who they are. Some of you are probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus tells this story to show us the heart of the Father towards sinners who returned to the father. Do you remember what the prodigal son said to his father when he when he came back? Remember, his father saw him coming from a long distance away, and his father ran to him. And, and what the son said was something true, actually. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Why? I have dishonored you. I have dishonored you. I've taken the family name and inheritance and spent it on things that should not have it should not have been spent on. And what does the father say? Bring the best robe and prepare a feast. He covers him and his shame with honor. It's because he's repentant and returns. Not because the son was worthy of it, but because he has returned to the father. Returning and returning and returning again. That is the mark of the one that the father accepts and welcomes as a son. And yet running from the father does hurt, really does hurt our relationship with the father. It makes it seem like he's not worth obeying or trusting. It dishonors him. Because he is a father worth giving ourselves completely to and trusting in every way. Every way. He's worthy of our everything. So we please him when we live this way. Live in a way that makes bearing his name seem worth it. Makes him seem worthy of our everything. And now, look at the second half of verse 10. There Paul impacts a little more of what this walking and living in a worthy way looks like. It looks like bearing fruit in every good work. So for Christians, good works are the fruit of trust in the Father's word. And the Father is pleased by fruit. So if you were to plant a garden in your yard, um, I would assume that you would be pleased... Let's imagine you, you planted some delicious tomatoes with some seeds that your friend told you about in Johnny's Seed Catalog. And these are just the most amazing tomatoes. And if you plant these and treat them right, they will just blow your mind. And let's say you took this good seed and you planted it, and those tomatoes produce great fruit. Would you be pleased? Maybe you're like, I don't like tomatoes. But if, if you imagine you like tomatoes, 
Okay, I've grown to like them. Would you be pleased with the fruit? A healthy garden produces pleasing fruit. And the fruit that the seed of the gospel word about the grace of Jesus produces in the lives of Christians is good deeds that please the Father. You imagine your life as soil. This is the metaphor that Paul is using here. Remember what he talked about in verses 1, 3 to 8. He thanks God that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in their life. Um, it's actually an allusion to Genesis 1, 28. Adam was to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Here's, here the, the new creation is being fruitful and multiplying, and it's the gospel seed that's doing the work in their lives and is producing fruit in the garden of their lives that pre-pleases the Father. And so Paul is praying that this happens more. So when you speak kindly to somebody who totally cursed you out. You are bearing fruit by the good news, produced in you by the good news about the grace of God to you that you don't deserve. So when the seed of the good news that God loved me and gave his life for my sins through Jesus, even when I didn't deserve that, when that gets planted deep, deep in your heart, what the Spirit loves to do and longs to do in you is to produce fruit from that. And you know what the fruit looks like? It looks like when somebody treats you with evil, you treat that with grace in a way that they don't deserve because you've been affected by the fruit of the gospel seed. You overcome evil with good. That's one example. And now let's look at the end of verse 10. There's a third thing that walking worthy includes. It includes growing in the knowledge of God. How do you get to know someone better? You listen to their words, right? And you talk to them. When you have a true relationship with the Father, you'll want to know Him better. That's the way relationships work. A good relationship in a good relationship, you want to get to know someone better. You want to listen to the Father's word more. You want to spend your life learning to follow him more closely. This is the type of knowledge of God that the Spirit of God aims to create in our lives. He wants to grow in us the same close connection that Jesus himself had on earth when he walked by the Spirit with the Father. So the fruit here that the Spirit produces is knowing the Lord. Now look at verse 11. There, there's a cluster of related ideas. Now, think about a, a marathon, a long run. When you, when you run a long marathon, if you ever ran or biked or hiked or walked for a long distance, you need patience, right? It takes a special kind of strength to keep going patiently, plodding along, waiting for the end goal. And you need a strength that perseveres and keeps going. And in the Christian life, in the Christian life things can get really hard. And the strength to persevere to the end comes ultimately from the Spirit of the Lord. When you're living in a way that pleases the Lord, the Spirit who fills you with wisdom and knowledge and understanding of how to live, He will also fill you with God's very own strength 
and resolve to persevere in doing God's will no matter what. Here's an example from Paul's own life for you. Near the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he's writing a letter. He's in a different jail now. And he wrote this in jail, 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. He says, so remember, it's this guy in prison writing a letter to, to a man named Timothy. He says, at my first defense, in other words, when he first stood trial, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord, he says in verse 17, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So Paul's in jail, and basically all his friends have left. We find out a little later, well, Luke's with him. Um, but all his friends have left, and yet this is how Paul was when he stood before Pilate. He, he draws strength by clinging to the knowledge that he is not alone. The Lord stood by my side and strengthened me, just as Jesus did when Jesus was all alone, crying out to the Father. His strength comes from the Lord. And now let's look at the final thing Paul says about walking in a way that pleases the Father. Verses 11 and 12. He prays for the Colossians that they would give thanks with joy to the Father. Everything else unpacks the reason why. Why give thanks with joy to the Father? Well, because of who he is and what he's done for you. Living to please the Father is not a gloom and doom thing. It's not a hang your head and drag your feet kind of service. Well, I guess I gotta make God happy. When my kids obey me, I know when their hearts are in it, and when they're not. Um, the obedience to the Father that the Spirit aims to create in our hearts is not a drag your feet, hang your head kind of obedience. It's an obedience that's worth a thousand songs of joy. Why? Verse 12, the Father has qualified you to receive a share in the inheritance that belongs to all God's saints who live in the kingdom of light. That's in contrast here to the kingdom of darkness. God has rescued his children from the authority of darkness, says Paul. See that in verse 13? The authority of darkness is ultimately, I believe, the prince of darkness, the devil, who rules over the kingdom of death and darkness and sin and everything that is against God. And Paul says, you want to be glad? Remember, you have been rescued from that realm. Imagine you were lost in the woods, stumbling in darkness, tripping into things, and then somebody gave you a flashlight. Would you be happy? Yes. I've actually been in that situation. Lost in the woods hunting, had to navigate my way out, and a flashlight died. And then I prayed, and was kind of panicking, but I couldn't find a trail across the marsh. It was pretty serious, actually, because it was a deep marsh. And then when I whacked my flashlight, it came back on. I don't know how, but I think it was God helping me, and it really did help me find my way out, and I was very glad. 
God has turned the lights on in the lives of true believers, and that is a reason for joy. Joyful service to him is grounded in what he's done for us. He's rescued us from the darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the son with whom the father himself is well pleased in the gospels. We see that in the baptism of Jesus. Where the spirit comes down on him and fills him in a special way. And the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You ever heard a father say, I'm well pleased with you? Maybe you never have. <coughs> but if you trust in Jesus, the Spirit wants you to enjoy those words from the Father every day. I am well pleased with you. That is the end to which we have been redeemed, to the Father's pleasure. So in closing, I'll say our main idea this morning again, and then we'll look at some applications specifically. Paul prays that the Colossians would be filled with the Spirit's wisdom to live God's way. You want to live God's way? You need the Spirit's wisdom. And yes, it comes through the Word, and it comes through the church assembly, through wisdom of other saints, but ultimately it's worked in our hearts by the Spirit. And so here's some takeaways. First, this is a really, I think, straightforward application. Pray this passage for other people. Pray this passage for other people. Do you see the way Paul prays for others in these verses? So what I want to do here for a couple minutes, I just want to, I, I guess I wouldn't be preaching now, pray. I just want to pray this over you. And... Uh, and make a couple other, say a couple other thoughts. So, I'm going to pray this passage for you. Lord, I pray for each one sitting in this room that your Holy Spirit would fill, fill us with understanding and wisdom and knowledge about how you want us to live, Lord. Lord, I pray that each one sitting here would not choose to live their life in, a, in just a way that feels right to them or that they feel would just make them happy or a way that is encouraged by the world. Lord, may they truly be led to walk in your wisdom. Lord, I pray that this wisdom that comes from you would help each one of us live our life in a way that pleases you in literally everything. May we please you when we work. May we please you when we play. May we please you when we surf the internet. May we please you when we sleep and when we wake up. Lord, may we please you when we suffer, when life is hard. And may we please you when life is going really well. Lord, may each one of us please you in everything. Lord, I pray that you would start to fill up the garden of our life with the fruit of good works that could only be produced in the lives of people who've had their minds blown by the free, undeserved grace of Jesus. Lord, I pray that our lives would be like a garden overflowing with delicious produce that makes people wonder, where did you get that seed from? 
Well, let me tell you. It came from the good news about the grace of Jesus, about his kindness and his love to me that I didn't deserve and I could not earn. I can't pay back. Lord, please help each one of us here, those from our church who aren't here, to grow in their relationship with you. Help them not to just know head facts about you, but to know you, to have a relationship with you, to talk to you, to listen to your word, to love your family. Lord, please give them all the power to persevere and be patient in their Christian life, no matter how hard things get. Convince them that you will give them things they feel they cannot handle, so that it throws them upon you for strength and wisdom and hope. And Lord, please give each one here, myself included, the joy in life that comes from remembering what we have been saved from, and from remembering how dark the darkness was and how beautiful the light is, and give us joy in remembering our future inheritance that is in heaven, that is waiting for us. Lord, help us to please you in everything, just as your beloved son Jesus did and still does. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So that's the first application. Pray that passage for others. And obviously the second one is pray it for yourself. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you didn't know what to do? I think I, this season of COVID, I've been in this situation more than ever before in my life. At times. And you ask for advice from friends and you still don't know what to do. What do you need? In that moment, you need wisdom beyond you that comes into you and guides you. And that's what the Spirit promises to do. James tells us this. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Lord, pray this way. Lord, I need wisdom. Fill me with your Spirit in a fresh way to help me understand your love for me and what you want me to do. And how you want me to be and walk in this situation. I need your wisdom. And then the third and final thing from this passage, the third challenge, is make it your aim to please your Heavenly Father in everything. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, we make it our goal to please Him. So I want to ask you this. Who are you trying to make happy in your life? Are you trying to just keep your family happy? Or your boss happy? Are you trying to keep your neighbors happy? Or your friends happy? Or maybe just, I'm trying to just keep myself happy. The more your life is controlled by trying to please other people, the more it will drive you to despair in the long run. The standards will always be changing. You'll never do enough. You'll never be enough. And what they demand of you might not always be good for you. You cannot be someone's savior. People, we make the happiness of others our mission in life. People will always be pushing us to be someone or something we, we can't be, ultimately. No. cannot be controlled by others. You're people pleasing. This is one of my greatest struggles in life. Maybe you can relate. So being afraid of what people think. I want to please people. It's not 
wrong, to want to bring joy into others' lives, but when that starts to control you, it can become a very deadly thing. People will push you to be someone you shouldn't be or can't be. Here's an example. Parents who live to keep their kids happy. Like, I just want my kids to be happy no matter what. If that controls you, your kids' happiness, your, your kids are controlling your life. You'll feed them what they want to keep them happy. You'll give them the electronics they want right, so that they can feel happy. That's terrible for kids and for parents. Because at the end of the day, can we keep our kids happy? No. But if instead we live to please the Father, the happiness of others is no longer the gauge of the quality of our love. I'll say that again. If we live to please the Father, I just want to please the Father in everything, then whether or not someone is happy with me, that's not the gauge of how well I've loved them. Okay? Maybe it is. We can truly hurt people. But that's not the ultimate standard. Living to please the Father actually frees us to love people best because we're not controlled by them or by their desires. We're controlled by the desires and the will and the wisdom in us of our Creator who knows what's best for everyone. So that we, and we can say and do what's best for others even if they hate us for saying the truth in love. Because we know our Father loves us. And His love for us is secure. So living to please the Father frees us from the rat race of living to please other people. We live to please the Father who's qualified us already for heaven through Jesus. We are accepted by Him. We are secure in His love. And so with the Spirit's wisdom and help and strength, we make it our aim to please Him in everything. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us not to be controlled by other people. May we not be like the Pharisees who love the glory and the honor that comes from men rather than they love the honor of God. May we live for your honor. May we live in a way that makes trusting you seem worth it. In a way that puts your wisdom on display as beautiful and good and right. I pray that the gospel would bear fruit in each of our lives in a way that is pleasing to you, the gardener. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.